So if you got your Bibles this morning, let's turn to Colossians. Forget uh, Justice, I think, the other day, as we turned to a passage, he kind of said it's from here to here. As I, I remember the, the, these, these four letters, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You know, I, I like to do kind of word association sometimes in me- memory, and so maybe this will help you. But I always think of uh, like GEPCO, G-E-P-C-O. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So uh, if that helps you out, go for it. But Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, we're going to be in Colossians. We're going to dance around a little bit today, uh, and I hope that's okay. Uh, and so I just said the word there, hope. And so if you've seen, uh, whether on our Facebook page and the newsletter uh, that we sent out, the, the title of today's sermon uh, is Hope is Here. Hope is Here. And so just jumping into that, say, so where is hope? I think primarily there's two places when we talk about the hope that God brings. First is in God's word. Hope is in God's word. And second, hope is here. Because of Jesus, uh, we are by extension his body. And the Holy Spirit is in us. And so hope is here because of God's word, because of Christ, because of the Holy Spirit, and because of his body. You know, I don't know what what you think of when you think of the word hope. And we might say, well, I hope to have this for lunch. Or I hope LSU doesn't get smashed again next weekend. Uh, I don't know, is that too soon? Any Tigers fans in here? Uh, We can use kind of hope in that type of sense, but that's not quite the hope that we're talking about when we're talking about God's word, the hope that we can have. See, sometimes when we say, I hope I have this, there's like, or I hope that there's uncertainty in that. But the hope that we talk about in God's word is a confidence. The hope that God is who he said he is because we know he is who he said he is. There's a confidence that comes in having hope in Jesus Christ. And as we have that hope that leads to the faith that we can trust that if we are certain that God is who he said he is, and we can be certain of that, that that leads us to live a life that is full of faith, that even when we can't see the hand of God, maybe when we can't see the evidences that our faith remains and our faith stands on the hope we have on who he is, and his promises. And a lot of times, too, we think about hope as, well, I hope to go to heaven. Uh, That also is not quite a biblical view of what hope is. We can know for certainty whether we will spend eternity with God or eternity separated from God. We can know that. And this is what much of Colossians 1 talks about as we jump into uh, this passage. And so, just kind of given that as you turn there, if you are there, kind of giving the background of, uh, of this passage. Paul, you know, oftentimes, there, Paul didn't just randomly write letters. There was reasons for when and why he wrote his letters. And so this passage, talk about like a hopeless situation. Paul was, this is one of four, Paul's four, they call it the, the prison letters. So Paul was literally sitting in prison uh, while he was writing this letter about the hope that they should have and that he has in God. And so many times we, we allow the circumstances 
And I know many of you are probably going through circumstances, whether you're here, whether you're listening, maybe you're not here today because of a situation that you're walking through. So I don't pretend to fully understand the circumstances that you're walking through. But God does. And God's promises are the same to you that they were before what you're walking through, and they will be after they walk through, and in between. And so all that says, so Paul was writing this letter, uh, and there was a couple reasons. The main reason for this is that in this church, so Paul did not plant this church. Uh, this church was planted by a, guy, a friend of his, Epaphras, uh, and it, we, th- we think that Epaphras probably gave him an update uh, of, of what was going on, on here. Uh, and so Paul wanted to write this letter uh, because uh, we can see in chapter 2, verse 4, it says, I say this in order that no Uh, No one may delude you with plausible arguments. And then farther down in verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental uh, spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So the rest of kind of that passage, really all through verse 16 through 23, talks about some of the specific, really false teachings that were beginning to uh, kind of creep in. And part of that was because uh, this church was full, a mix of Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles being anyone that wasn't Jew by heritage was considered a Gentile. Probably all of us in here, unless you have Jewish heritage, would be considered Gentiles. Uh, and so because of that, the Gentiles, just like in this church, the Gentiles brought some things in, some traditions, some false beliefs, uh, and then the Jews also brought some of that. And so you had this clashing of maybe ideologies, of philosophies, but then they had the gospel that was preached to them uh, through the te- writings of Paul, but also through Epaphras. And so they knew truth. But how, how often do we know that even sometimes when we know things, our minds start to wander? Or we think about these things. And, and Paul talks about that. We're going to look here in just a minute about what the, 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 what, how important our mind frame is in following after God. And so, just like today, maybe you see some things on social media by uh, people that don't believe in God, and, and it sounds plausible. That's, those are some of those things that they're facing right here. I would say probably the circumstances uh, surrounding this church that Paul was writing this letter to are probably some of the same things that we are dealing with today. As far as things that kind of sound right, y'all, the church, there is so much Uh, just false teaching in churches today, in churches that would be considered Christian churches. There is false teaching. But that shouldn't come as a surprise because Jesus told us that that would happen. We knew that was going to come. So that's why kind of Paul is writing this letter. Uh, And so he kind of reminds them, and I, I would say it this way, that he's just kind of saying, look, whatever you're being taught, whatever people are saying, if it ain't about Jesus, it's false. I don't know if he said ain't. I don't know the, 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 the uh, Greek word for ain't. Uh, but in fact, he kind of goes on in Galatians. He was writing to the church in Galatia where uh, he actually says in the opening chapter, he says, I'm surprised how quickly you are turning away from the truth. Uh, and he says, he goes on, he says, look, no matter who teaches you something, even if it's me, he said, even if it's angels, he said, if it doesn't point to Jesus, let them be cursed. That's like strong language. And so that's what kind of Paul is saying here too. Look, If any gospel that is being preached, if any uh, religious talk is being uh, taught that doesn't point you to who Jesus is, then you got to throw it out. 
That's what living in faith is. So we're going to look at, we have hope. That hope is that assurance of who God is. And when we know who God is, we live that out in faith. And so that whatever circumstances we come, that might come, we're rooted in that hope. Our hope cannot be shaken. Our faith is not shaken because it is, stands firm on that hope. So if it's not, it's not about Jesus. And so he says that specifically here in, uh, in chapter 2, verse 19. He says, talking about these people that are teaching these things, and, not, and they are not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a, great, uh, with a growth that is from God. And so obviously there it doesn't specifically say Jesus. It talks to about the head, uh, but if we kind of tie that back to verse 17 and 18 of chapter 1, he says, and he, and right before this is talking about Jesus, and he is before all things, and in him all things held together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. We're going to unpack that verse here in just a second. But here he's saying, like, look, it's all about Jesus. Uh, and it's interesting, as I said, if, if you, as you begin studying Paul's letters, there's just so much uh, compatibility or things that he kind of says to one church that he goes and, and says to another church. Uh, and there's lots of implications of that. But one of that is, y'all, they were struggling with some of the same things in these different cities that we are struggling with today. And we need to be reminded of those things. So as it talks about just that I read here in Colossians, talking about Christ as the head of the body that we are knit together, that's almost exact language of what we see in Ephesians chapter 4. You can hold your place in Colossians. We're just going to look at this one verse. But in Ephesians 4, uh, it says, uh, And from Christ, whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, that which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in Love. So Paul talks a lot all through his writings. Uh, there's a lot of kind of that triad of faith, hope, and love. Uh, and so here he's talking about that just that just reinforcing that y'all, it's Jesus that holds this thing together. It's about Jesus. And so I just want to just encourage you this morning. Maybe you're here and you don't have belief in God. In a room this size, there's probably at least one person. That maybe you're searching, or maybe, you know, you've, you've like, and I've already written them off. I'm just here because someone made me come. Uh, maybe you're listening online, and you just happen to be scrolling through, ah, let's check this out, but I don't really believe in that God thing. You know, and oftentimes I think that, that reason why we don't believe is because of wrong understanding, not of who God and Jesus is, but because of wrong understanding of his people. You know, we as believers, as Christians, we bear the responsibility of showing the world who Jesus is because we are his body. Like, do we understand that? I, I, don't, I don't think we fully do. As I, was, as I was preparing for this message just multiple times, I was just broken. Y'all, you know, the church is, there are people leaving the church in vast numbers. And, and again, we know that's going to come because Jesus told us it would. Yeah, but the church does not, overall, and I'm putting myself in this at times, I don't think we love well. We don't love the world well. 
And if you disagree with that, just scroll through Facebook and how many of those people are, are Christians, I'm not calling salvation into question. Or how many people, like, we just get mad at our neighbor because their lawn isn't, isn't mowed. Or we, we get, we get lawn, you know, just the other day I was sitting at Sam's and I was sitting there and, and I, I, I wasn't extremely rude, but someone was sitting there and I just kind of said, hey, can you move to the side? Uh, and he kind of got upset and I just didn't need to say anything. It's like we need to filter our life through how can we show love to a world that is broken? How can we be hope bearers in a world where there is no hope? We have that responsibility because we are the body of Christ. And Jesus makes that so incredibly clear. And kind of before we move on, uh, just again, just an interesting kind of note as, as I was preparing, just thinking about this, uh, is I, I, I referenced the verse here in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, well, in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about uh, living a Christ-like life. And the section right after that, Paul talks about the home, how husbands should love their wives, how wives should love their husbands, how children should love their kids. Well, actually, here in Colossians, it's the exact same thing. Actually, in chapter 3, he talks about what it means to live for Christ and then immediately follows about what the Christian home should look like. And so I would just offer this morning you know, the greatest place, the, the first place, I guess, where we need to begin to live out our faith, live out our hope, is in our homes. That's why we do these baby dedications. is to say, look, we are going to do, we're going to fall short, but we are going to do the best that we can to raise these kids to be image bearers of Christ. It has to start in the home. We cannot, we cannot fool ourselves to think that we can have a witness in the world if we're not even having a witness in our home. And that's why I believe Paul, here and other places as well, talks about living for Christ and then what that needs to look like in the home. Our neighbors should see what a Christ-like home looks like. Our family that maybe doesn't believe in God should see there's something different about our family. And that's not an arrogant thing. We don't let that puff up. But it's because of the Spirit living inside of us. There should be a difference. It has to start in our homes. It has to start in our personal homes. And then it has to start here in the church. God's home. God's house. And so all I had to say, a long explanation to, just to say that, you know, this was kind of the setting for what was happening uh, to those that, that Paul was writing this letter. They were being uh, just kind of lied to. There were some like other traditions that were coming in. And so he wrote this, that was the, the situation. So the purpose kind of why he really said, hey, I'm going to sit down and read this uh, or write this is in chapter 2, verse 2. He says it, I think, pretty plainly, uh, plainly, clearly. You can say cleanly, I guess that's a combination of plainly and clearly. Uh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So what's the purpose of this entire letter? Well, is to encourage them, but also give them a deeper understanding of who God is, that points them to love one another. And that's why he wrote this letter. So we're going we're gonna to jump in. We're not going to certainly get through the whole chapter this morning, 
uh, but we're going to jump in and we'll, we'll see where we get uh, as we go. So kind of in verse, just starting back at chapter 1, verse 3, he says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. So he's saying, look, and that's, that's similar to how he starts some other letters uh, to churches or groups of people as well, that he thanks God to them for their faith, for their love. Now, that, I think, just drives home what I've been saying is that, y'all, we as believers have an opportunity uh, to, to point to encourage other people. The way we live out our faith has the opportunity, the ability to encourage one another. The way we love one another has an opportunity to encourage one another. I said, you know, who do you thank God for? As maybe you pray, who do you thank God for? Maybe it's someone just that day that, you know, but why do you thank God for them? Well, it's probably because their faith in God, their love that they show to, they've shown to you and others. Y'all, the way we live out our faith, the way we love others, has, has an opportunity to point other people to God, to encourage other people. In verse 4, he says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So here's this faith aspect. Again, like I said, Paul often references or talks about faith, hope, and love together. So since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, those are believers, uh, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. If you've got the NIV, maybe it says that springs from the hope that you have. So this triad, faith, hope, and love. In verse 4, I believe we really see kind of the embodiment of the great commandment. What was, I, I've always, you know, it's, it's called the greatest commandment, uh, but then there's two commandments, really, uh, where Jesus says basically love God and love others. Uh, I've heard it said this way, that Jesus was actually kind of poking some fun, kind of joking around uh, with the religious leaders when they said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, well, love the Lord your God. Well, of the ten commandments, commandment one through five has to do with loving God. Uh, and then he says, and then love others. And really, commandment 6 through 10 has to deal, deal with loving others. So really, Jesus was kind of saying, well, all 10 are pretty important, okay? Uh, and he was kind of getting them there. But we see this here uh, in verse 4. It says, uh, of your faith in Jesus Christ. So that's belief or love for God and of the love that you have for one another. That's loving God and loving others. So this church that he was writing to, even though there were some, some issues even though there were some things that were beginning to influence them, and he was writing to, to kind of head that off, they were loving God and loving others. They were fulfilling the greatest commandment. Faith, hope, and love. Why is love so important? You know that Jesus prayed for each one of us specifically? You probably know that. But in John chapter 17, Jesus actually specifically prayed for us that believe today. And he says this, he, at the beginning of chapter 17, he prays for his disciples. He prays for the 12 that are going to go into, uh, just that are going to really be the foundation of the church. They're gonna, and then he, says, he transitions in verse 20, and he says, my prayer is not for them alone meaning not just for the twelve. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So all that would come to believe in Jesus because of these twelve. So that's us. Verse 21, that all of them may be one. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as you are one. 
behind them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You know, one of the reasons that Paul is writing here in this letter and why it's so huge that they're showing love to one another, it's not that we love not believers, but what Jesus prayed for us is, y'all, by the way that we love one another, other believers, the world is going to know, wow, there is something different about believers. There is something different about people that live in accordance with God's will. And because of that, I want to be part of that. So much, we, you know, we talk about, well, what's evangelism? How are we going to do evangelism? You know, the greatest evangelistic effort that we can make is just to love one another. And we saw that in, in Acts, the first church. Uh, it says in, ver- in chapter 2, verse 47, it says that the Lord added to their number daily because of the way in which they were living their lives. And it shows us kind of what their lives looked like. Love for one another is so important because it points the world, it points others to him. Jesus understands, and this is kind of the the heart of what hope is, is that we were created for God to know him, to love him, and be with him. That's why every human that has ever walked the face of the earth was created, was to know him, to be in relationship with him. That's why he sent Jesus to die for us. It talks about later in this chapter about that idea of reconciliation. So through Jesus, we are able to be reconciled or be made right to God. So the the purpose of life is to know God. And as we know Him, to love Him and to be with Him. And as we place our hope in Him, loving one another. So kind of this idea of faith and love uh, where the, this, the idea of uh, the, the, the faith and love, it says it really stand on hope. So how does that come? How does hope hold faith and love together? And like I talked about, hope is not, well, I hope I don't go to hell, or I hope I go to heaven. No, the hope that is being referred to here is the gospel, is that Jesus was who he said he was. And we can be sure of that. We know that. See, God is drawing us to him and desiring us to spend eternity with him. In fact, Jesus specifically said that in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. Uh, this, this passage, if you go back and look in cha- uh, Luke chapter 4, it's probably kind of subset or maybe has a different font or something. It's because Jesus is actually referencing Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and 2. Uh, and so there's a couple things. One, he's saying, look, this, this Old Testament prophecy, the Messiah, like, I'm him. And when he, when he said this, if you look back in Luke chapter 4, uh, they were kind of upset at him and uh, thought it was heresy. But so one, he's, he's cementing himself. He's declaring himself, I am the Messiah. I am God. And this is what he says. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Why did Jesus come? To set us free. To set us free from what? 
but to set us free from separation from God. It, it, it talks later on here in Colossians 1 where it says that, like I said, to reconcile everything to him, everything on earth and in the heavens. And it's like, what does that mean? And, uh, and then in another verse here in, 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 in chapter 1, uh, it says that, uh, that he is the, um, we're talking about this idea of reconciliation, uh, that it, he reconciles all things to him. Uh, there's some people that take this one verse and how many we know if we take one verse and base a theology or belief off one specific verse, uh, that's not the best practice, right? Uh, but they'll take this really one passage, and that's what the theology or the, the understanding of universalism comes from. They say, hey, because of that one verse, that means that everyone's just going to go to heaven. God's going to re- restore all things to him. No, that's actually, if you read the Gospels, even if you read the Old Testament, that's absolutely false. There is going to be separation from God, but there's also going to be unity with God through the reconciliation of his work through Jesus Christ. And so what those verses are talking about is, you know, even this world, and you know, that question uh, that maybe you've heard or you know, seen things kind of debated about this is, why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, we don't have time to really dive deep into that. But maybe the most simple answer for that is because, y'all, this world is not what God intended. And that doesn't mean like God's like up there like, ooh, how are things going to go? What's going on? No, you know, how did God create the earth? He created it in, in perfect harmony with him. And as a result of man's sin, as a result of stepping outside of obedience to God, as a result of stepping outside of the, the perfect plan that God had, we are now today in 2021, facing the consequences of what Adam and Eve did. Well, that's not fair. Well, you probably told your kids, life ain't fair, right? Like that, seems, that might sound like a little blunt, but you know, part of the reason, or not part of the, the, the reason why the world is enduring what it's enduring is because of sin, is because of Satan, not because of God, not because he's some angry God punishing people, And so you say, well, it's not fair. Well, it is fair because God has also given us an out, so to say. That's Jesus Christ. He allows this world where there's going to be this earth, this heaven, they're going to pass away. It says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. That's that reconciliation of heaven and earth, that this brokenness, our broken bodies, our ailments, the tragedies that are going on around all over the world, those will pass away, and they will, be, they will be exchanged for a new heaven and a new earth. We will be exchanged. The old will be gone. So hope, hope produced, here we talk, so think, thinking about this, these three words, that hope produced faith, and faith in turn turns to love. I just want to, I want to end uh, with these few verses. Before we look at a couple verses in Colossians, I just want to think, you know, where we think about this idea of how does hope produce faith? As I said, hope is a certainty of the faith that we have. 
We don't have to wonder if Jesus is who he said he is. We don't have to wonder, is God listening to us when we pray? Our hope can be secure. And as that hope is secure, that, that looks like faith in our life. And as we live in faith, that looks like love. Love for God, love for others. Even Jesus kept his eyes fixed on what was to come, right? Uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, uh, Hebrews 11 is known as the hall of faith. Uh, it's a list of men and women that because they lived by faith, that, uh, that this happened, that God, God rewarded them. So it's he, this, uh, the, surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Hey, because all these people were able to live a life uh, according to God's word, he has let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So there's that idea of hope and faith. We can be secure in it. Now let us run with perseverance. Let us have faith in that. How? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus but it doesn't stop there. It says because Jesus even modeled this idea of keeping our eyes fixed on not our circumstances, not what we can or can't see, but of that which we know will be. Will be. Uh, and it says, uh, for the joy set before him. So it's talking about Jesus. For what was to come for resurrection, for being glorified, for being placed at the right hand of God, seated at the right hand of God. For those things set before him, he endured the cross scorning at shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, what would happen if we lived our lives not so focused on what's going on around us, but focused on who God is and what God says is to come? I think for me, just in a very practical, daily way, you know, sometimes I just get frustrated sometimes about like when simple things are challenging. Like it just, I'm like, this should. I mean, like even like, and I'll just be, like, I'll be like pulling a hose, right? And like it, see, it, I, it gets caught on every dang root coming through my my garage. You know, if I was falling off a roof and I needed that hose to catch on a root. Uh, it wouldn't do it. I'd fly, fall right off, right? But if I'm just trying to get from point A to point B with this hoe, it catches on every sting. And those types of things, and like just at a very, and you might say, Jesse, that's like, I'm not trivializing or minimizing some of the major things that might be going on in your life. But you know what I'm saying, at those small basic things, those are those things that we need to say, look, why, like for me, why is that bothering me? Well, it's because Maybe pride, maybe arrogance, maybe anger. There could be a whole host of things. But just in that situation, just like, what if I just in that moment had my eyes fixed on God instead of the circumstance of this dang hose getting stuck? Like, that's what I think it means to have hope and live it out in faith. Regardless of my circumstances, regardless of how small or big my circumstances are. Do I believe what I say I believe? Does my faith match the hope that I say that I have? I think if it does, our lives have to become different. Our lives will look different. And I think how we do that is here in verse 9, 10, and 11, and I'm going to end with this. 
In verse 9, 10, and 11, it says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so, that you, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, and for all endurance and patience with joy. Talks about we need to know God's will. So first, we've got to be in God's word, y'all. If we want to, if we want to live in faith, the hope that we profess, which will lead to loving God and loving others, we've got to be in his word. We've got to know God's will. But if that's all we do, if we just read it, try and speed read it or something, it's like if you just pull out your owner's manual to your car and you just read it. Okay, you you know it now because you've read it. All right, but then he talks about understanding. It has to take a step further. We have to then understand what God's word says. And it talks about, and that's how what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit allows us to understand God's word. And so kind of taking that next step further, that analogy reading the owner's manual, if I read the owner's manual, well, now I know it. And then if maybe I watch a YouTube video and I see someone do it, I'm like, Oh, that's how you do it. Okay, now I understand that you got to do this little thing, and you got to do this, and make sure you don't, that spring doesn't shoot off in your eye, these types of things. So we get that. And then the third uh, kind of main word talked about in these three verses is to living live it out. And that's then doing it. Taking what we know, coupled with understanding now what we know, and then living it out. And here's, but here's the, here's the catch in all of it. If we try to do that on our own strength, we will fail. Jesus tells us, for we can do nothing without God. And that's why it says here in verse 11, to live it out in the power. To live it out in power. And what is that power? It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, and only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to live for him, that we're able to stand on the hope that we have, have our faith, and let that produce what God wants to produce in our lives. Y'all, I just encourage you to take some time to read. There's just so much there in chapter 1. And really, the the remaining part of chapter 1 talks all about Jesus. I think my response to this message is going to be just, how can I know God more? How can I love Jesus more? And and here it talks about our mind. And the rest of Colossians talks about putting off old things and, and putting on new things. We have a responsibility to live out our faith. It's not faith by works. We can't save ourselves. Salvation only comes through through Jesus and what he's done. It's not faith by works, but it is faith that works. And our faith should be evident in our lives as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. As we live it out, as we allow the Holy Spirit to mold and shape us into who he wants us to be. And that starts with knowing him, understanding what we know, and then through the power of the Holy Spirit, living it out. God, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you. God, just for your word. God, I thank, thank you that we can, we can know who you are. God, our hope can be secure. 
We don't have to wonder. Are you who you say you are? You are. We know that. It, it is evident in creation. It testifies to who you are. But Lord, I, I pray that we would then take that the next step and not just know it in our head, but believe it in our heart. Allow that to give us faith every moment of the day. Whether things are going good, whether things are going bad, whether it's big things, small things, that our faith that is produced through the hope we have in who you are will lead us to love you, will lead us to love others. God, I pray for our church, Lord. God, I pray that we would be known by the way that we love one another and the way that we love you. God, not that we would get recognition or that we would get any accolades, none of that, God, but just that because, Jesus, you prayed that for us. You prayed that as we live in unity, you will use us to reveal you to the lost. So I pray that we would do that. God, I just pray as we go on from here today, Lord, we would just allow whatever you're stirring on our hearts, God, maybe for some it's, it's salvation. Maybe they've, they've never made, someone's never made that commitment. Lord, we don't have to understand A to Z to follow you. We just make that commitment. We believe in the hope that you have given us. And so whether that's the first step someone's taking, or whether it's someone that, that's been following Christ for years, God, that we would put your word into practice, that we would live it out, God, that we wouldn't just read it and then put it back on a shelf and, and, and move on to the next thing. So God, as we allow your word to, to mold us, to shape us, God, that we would become more like you, so that on that day when we do stand before you and we receive the inheritance of living a life surrendered to you, that you will look at us and say, well done, that good and faithful servant. So God, we love you. We just pray all these things in your mighty and powerful name.